Okay, Romans 4, and I'm actually going to um, I'm going to introduce this and then I'm going to read a few verses at a time instead of reading the whole thing up front. But um, I was watching the World Series a few years ago when um, San Francisco was playing somebody, and I don't remember who they were playing anymore, but Barry Bonds was coming to the plate, and it was one of those situations where I don't know who was on base, anything about it, you know, there's two outs, they got to have a hit right here. And you just knew he was going to hit a home run. There was just there was just no doubt in my mind. I would have bet the house on it right there. He's, he's about to jack it out of the park. And he walks to the plate, center field fence, flies the fence, and he just stands there. I mean, it seemed like an eternity. He just kind of stands there and watches it and then slowly walks around the bases. And, and it's, it's, it's as if he were saying, I'm the baddest dude on the planet right now. Everybody needs to, to recognize me. Now, whatever you think about Barry Bonds and how he was able to do that, um, we all have dreamed. We all dream of having those kind of moments. Maybe not of hitting the home run, but of hearing the applause, of hearing the recognition, um, of of uh, having people laugh at our jokes or complimenting us on uh, our hairstyle or our new job or something that we've accomplished. Uh, we want to be liked. Uh, we want to have a good resume with other people. Uh, we feel like we can get in with other people if we have enough things that we can check off so that they'll accept us. And we do that with people, and I think a lot of times we think like that with God as well. That if I have a few things checked off on my resume with God, then He'll accept me. Um, and that really is a works way of thinking about God. Come on in. It really is a works way of, of thinking about God. Uh, if I do something, then He'll accept me. Now when we think that way, you know, either we're thinking too highly of ourselves or we're thinking too lowly of God to think that I as a sinner could somehow be acceptable to a perfectly holy God through what I do. Uh, the, the, the Bible goes to great lengths both to paint a picture of a perfectly holy God and a fallen people and shows us that this fallenness, this sin, actually separates us, keeps us from having a relationship with God. The question then becomes, what do you do about that separation? How do you bridge that gap? I was listening to a street preacher. I listened to him several times at App State. They would come and stand on campus. And y'all know these guys on college campuses. They just kind of come and just... They just kind of start berating everybody, basically. And it sort of feels like you're bad, you're going to hell, and what you need to do is to be better. That's kind of how it comes across. You know, quit doing whatever you're doing. Which, as we've been reading Romans, you see that it makes absolutely no sense because you can't be good. You can't be good enough to merit righteousness, to merit right standing with God. So just telling somebody to be good... Uh, doesn't help them at all. Uh, we need a righteousness that's not our own. And what we've seen over the first three chapters of Romans is that that righteousness that we need actually comes from Jesus and what He's done. And in order for us to gain right standing with God, we don't trust in what we do, but we transfer our trust to Jesus and trust in what He has done for us on the cross. Now, that's Romans 1 through 3. That's a review. Uh, imagine uh, that you all are a group of scientists. 
I know this is a stretch, but imagine you're a group of scientists uh, and I've just presented a paper to you challenging your understanding of the theory of relativity. I know it's even more of a stretch uh, that I'll be presenting that. But, but you might rightly ask at this point, well, what did Albert Einstein say about that? What would he say about what you just said about the theory of relativity? Now, think about this in the context of Romans. A Jewish person who had just heard Paul's argument over the first three chapters of Romans might say at this point, all right, Paul, what would Abraham say about this? What would Abraham, our forefather, say about what you just said about how a person is right with God? Wasn't Abraham saved by what he did? Come on, Paul, explain how this works together. To which Paul says, okay, let's look at Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham. And so what we're going to do as we read this is we're going to look at Paul looking at Abraham. And as we do this, we're going to see again that justification is by faith and not by works. We're going to see that justification by faith is for everyone who believes. And we're going to see that justification by faith is offered to you today. So, uh, number one, justification is by faith and not by works. And what I want to do is read the first eight verses uh, for this. We'll start in verse one. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Alright, Paul says here, alright, let's look at Abraham our forefather, this man that you put so much stock in. If Abraham was justified by works... If he was counted righteous by God because of what we did, he could boast about it. He could say, I am right before God because I kept the law. He could drop his bat and slowly walk around the bases basking in the glory of the home run that he had hit if he had kept the law and was righteous because of what he had done. But what does Paul say here? He says, not before God he can't boast. Not before God he can't boast. In other words, if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. But he doesn't have anything to boast about before God. Therefore, he wasn't justified by works. Are you, you following that? This is, a, this is kind of a tricky passage. And then Paul says... Okay, look at your Bible. I'll show you what I'm talking about. And he quotes for them Genesis 15.6, which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, and this is, this is my paraphrase here, if you work, your wages are owed to you. If you work, your wages are owed to you. In other words, if, 
if you go in and punch the clock and do your 40 hours, they owe you for that. You've done the job. You deserve to be paid for your work. The paycheck that they send you is not a gift. It's something that you earned. It's something that you are owed. If Abraham had been perfectly obedient to God, righteousness, a right standing with God, would have been owed to him. It would have been his due. He would have, he would have deserved to have been paid. He would have deserved to have been declared righteous. It would be wrong for God not to declare him righteous if he had actually kept the law. But Abraham didn't have any works to offer to God, so instead he trusted God. He put his faith in the God who Paul says here justifies, declares righteous, the ungodly. In other words, he received right standing with God not by working for it, not by working for it, but he received it as a gift. And so he couldn't boast about it. Right, you see the difference. If he had worked for it, it would be like a job and he would deserve to be paid for it. And he could boast about the job that he had done. But he didn't work for this right standing with God. He was given it as a gift. And so if, if you're given it as a gift, you can't boast about what you did when it was handed to you. So he couldn't save himself. Instead, he trusted God uh, because he had nothing to offer God. Salvation is by grace through faith. And Paul's saying, look, that's, this is not new. Abraham understood this. And then he says, not only was it Abraham, but David understood this as well. Uh, verses 6-8. through eight. Now, you remember the story of David. David commits adultery. Uh, Bathsheba uh, winds up being pregnant. David sends for her husband to bring him home. Hopefully this will cover everything up. There's no DNA testing then. And so her husband comes home and yet he refuses to go to his house and he just kind of hangs out at David's house the whole time. And David's like, why don't you go home? And he says, how can I go home when all of God's men are off at war? And so David gets him liquored up the next night and says, why don't you go home, and he still doesn't go. So what David does is he sends a note with Uriah back to the battle lines and has, and has him sent to the front of the battle lines, and then everybody else pulls back, and he's killed. Okay, that's, that's David. That's what David did. But what does it say here? That, that God did not count his sin against him. God did not, did not count David's sin against him. He covered David's sin and counted him as righteous. David understood justification by faith. He wasn't right because of what he did. It wasn't about his work. It was about somebody else's work. He knew that he didn't have any work to offer God. Look at what he had done. He could only trust in God to forgive his sins. So again... The illustration of Abraham, the illustration of David show that justification is by faith and has nothing to do with what you do. Now, applications from that. Um, salvation by faith and not by works, which is a gospel, is not new. Um, it's not just thing that just kind of popped up in the New Testament. 
It's the way that it has always been from Old Testament to New Testament. Now, the Old Testament was not this time when everybody was just saved by what they did. They weren't working their way to heaven. The men and women of the Old Testament were sinners in need of a Savior just as much as people who live after Jesus. And understanding that's going to affect how you read the Old Testament. So that's just... Number two, uh, faith is not the same thing as obedience. Faith is not the same thing as obedience. Faith is trusting in God's saving acts. Uh, In verse 5, Paul says that the saved person does not work. In other words, the saved person quits trusting in their own works, quits trusting in their own obedience as a way to be saved. Uh, He also says uh, that the saved person trusts God who justifies the ungodly. All right, think about it. justifies the ungodly. If you're ungodly, that means you're not obedient. So obedience can't be the same thing as faith. They're not the same thing. Uh, in fact, the nature of faith, and we talked about this some last week, the nature of faith is to look away from yourself and what you do and look to what somebody else does, specifically to look at what God promises to do. Uh, trusting in yourself putting your trust in your own works is either going to lead to boasting or to despair. Right? You're either going to... If you trust it in yourself, you're either going to get proud because you think you're doing a good job, whether you are or not, or you're going to despair because you never really are measuring up and you realize that. But if you trust in God, that's going to lead to humility and confidence. Because you realize it's about what He does and not about what you do. So you can trust in yourself and be led to either pride or despair. Or you can trust in God and become very humble and at the same time become incredibly confident because it's not about you. It's about Him. So faith is not the same thing as obedience. Third, a lot of of us would have a hard time believing that a murderer and an adulterer could actually be a Christian. Like we really kind of go, well, I don't know about, well, I guess David was saved. But that, that couldn't happen now. Because, because I think we, to some extent, even though we give lip service to justification by faith, we're still kind of holding on to justification by works. Right? This is just sort of theoretical. And what happens is we get into the church and we start putting on our mask and we, and we think, well, there's somebody else who struggles with that not me. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It's somebody else who needs the elders to pray for them about that. It's not, it's not me. Can you believe what they did? I know that I would never do anything like that. We're not very secure in the gospel and in God's acceptance of us, and so we go back to work trying to justify ourselves, trying to establish our level of righteousness. I'm not broken, I'm not weak. I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything's good. See, at some level, even though we'd say, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus, we're not really believing the Gospel. We're not really believing that our sins really are covered because if we really believe that, we would be more honest about what we struggle with. If I really believe that my righteousness comes not from myself but from Jesus, we would be more honest about what we struggle with. 
And if we really believed that, other people would open up to us more about what they struggle with. Because they would be going, oh, okay, there's somebody that actually really believes this stuff they're talking about. And that's somebody safe that I can actually talk to because they're not going to condemn me for what's going on in my life. Because they don't think they're so righteous. They're obviously trusting in Jesus and not themselves. Uh, knowing these things, knowing that it's God who forgives sin, gave David incredible freedom and joy and, and let him actually confess his sins. Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of times we're just trying to fool other people. A lot of times trying to fool ourselves. And, and really, who, who are we to try to fool somebody? Um, acting as if, well, I know Jesus now, I'm a Christian, and so everything's okay. When the reality is, is that we're still very complicated, messed up people. But Jesus has forgiven us. That's what being a Christian is, is being a sinner with a lot of mess in your life still, but who has also been forgiven by Jesus. And believing that ought to help us to quit lying about who we are. And it also ought to help us to quit lying to ourselves about who our spouse is. And to quit lying to ourselves about who our children really are. And to quit expecting other people to be somebody that they're not. To give them the freedom to admit that they're sinners. To give them uh, the freedom to admit that they struggle, that they have doubts. Um, to, to allow them to struggle with things even that you're uncomfortable with knowing that they struggle with. Uh, they're sinners, but you are too. And God's demonstrated grace to you, so you in turn ought to demonstrate, we in turn ought to demonstrate grace to them. See, justification is by faith and not by works. Why is it then, when it comes to our relationship with other people, we act like justification is really by works? In other words, we, we sort of say, well, God may have accepted you because you're trusting in Jesus, but I'm going to accept you when you get your act together. Right? That's, that's all fine that your vertical, vertical relationship with God is okay, but I'm really not going to be comfortable with you until you can do this and this and this and not that. See, that's, that's not the gospel at all. I'm not, that's not applying the gospel at all because... Justification is by faith and not by works. Second big point. All right, we're out of the application. We're back into our big points. Um, justification by faith is for everyone who believes. Let's pick up the, the text again. Justification by faith is for everyone who believes. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, 
Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Alright, you got all that? How many times can we say circumcision? Um, a, a lot of Jews thought that you had to have, or you had to take on their Jewish cultural and religious symbols in order to be saved. Even there were some who were saying they were putting their faith in Christ and then they were saying, well, it's Jesus plus you need to do all this as well. Things like obeying the ceremonial law. Things like being circumcised. And God's, uh, Paul says, that's not true. And because that's not true, justification by faith is for everybody and not just for the Jews. And here's his argument. All right? now, you gotta, you got to kind of track with me for, through this. First he says in verse 10, that Abraham received righteousness before he was circumcised. He received righteousness before he was circumcised. He didn't get righteousness because he was circumcised. He had it beforehand. Well, then somebody might ask, well then, how does circumcision relate to the righteousness that Abraham had? And Paul says, that it was a sign and a seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith. It's a lot like a wedding ring. That's the the best illustration I can give. This is a sign and a seal of the fact that I'm married to Susan, but our marriage doesn't consist in this wedding ring. Okay? It, it, It says, yes, you're married, yes, you're committed to each other, but our marriage is not this wedding ring. It's more than that. It's an external sign pointing to an internal reality. And Paul says, because Abraham had faith righteousness, righteousness, right standing with God that comes through faith, before he was circumcised, he is now the father of all the uncircumcised Gentiles who through faith receive righteousness. Everybody wait back up. Uh, the, the Jews were saying, Abraham's our father, we're circumcised, we're in. If you Gentiles want to be a part of God's people, you need to be circumcised too. And Paul says, guys, salvation, the righteousness that comes through faith, is for both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. It's for everybody who has faith like Abraham. Therefore, the real children of Abraham are people who are uncircumcised and have faith and people who are circumcised and have faith. In other words, what matters is not circumcision or uncircumcision, but having the same faith in God that Abraham had. Now, second thing to work through this. uh, Verse 13 and 14. Paul says that God actually made a promise to Abraham and the condition for receiving that prompt, what was promised was faith, not works. It was faith, not works. And if God came along later and said, well, that faith is nice, why don't we add a little bit something? Why don't you need to do this too? Then he would be going back on his original promise. So you can't come in later and say, well, you've got to do this too. He says, no, it was by faith. And then thirdly, verse 15, he says, in any event, 
the law only brings wrath. And he's made this argument earlier in Romans. The law only brings wrath. Why is that? Because the law can't save us. The law can't help you keep the law. Just seeing the Ten Commandments doesn't help you keep the Ten Commandments. If anything, it just kind of stirs up your sin. Okay? Uh, Because we can't keep it. Now, let me make some applications from this before we move on to our our last point. Uh, We see in this the Gospels for the Nations. That's one of the big points out of this. The Gospels for the Nations. Um, It's not restricted to any one people or to any race. Uh, God, in fact, makes a promise to Abraham that's fulfilled as the Gospel goes around the world. Uh, As the Gospel goes out and the darkness is rolled back, men and women and boys and girls put their faith in Jesus and they become, as it were, children of Abraham. They're the actual children of Abraham, those who put their faith in Jesus. And you know, do we ever think that the Gospel is just an American thing? Or it's just kind of a, a us thing. The gospel is a multinational thing. Um, and the church is charged to take the gospel to the nations. And I just encourage you to think about when you're praying, do you pray not just local concerns, not just family concerns, but do you pray for the gospel to go to the nations? Do you pray for those areas of the world where there's not very little or no gospel light shining? Uh, secondly, um, today, and I, this would take a lot of fill-in to, to, to get into this too much, but baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs and seals of God's covenant today. Whereas in the Old Testament, circumcision um, and Passover were, today baptism and the Lord's Supper are. They, they work in much the same way. They're important, but they won't save you. And that's a good thing to pull from this No matter how many times you get baptized, no matter how many times you take communion, that won't save you. It's an external sign that's important, but it's meant to point to an internal reality. And so, Paul would say to us as he did to them, just look, going through religious religious rituals is not going to save you. And then a a third application on this point... um, Again, I said earlier, some of the Jews of Paul's days were saying, of, day, of Paul's day were saying, what you need is faith in Jesus plus something else. If you really want to be in, you need faith in Jesus plus something else. You need faith in Jesus plus circumcision. And I would ask us, does the church today do the same sort of thing? Maybe inadvertently. Maybe we don't realize we're doing it. But do we ever give the message that what you really need to do to be in is faith in Jesus plus something else. Faith in Jesus plus you got to check off all the right theology boxes. Uh, faith in Jesus plus a certain style of worship. Faith in Jesus plus a certain type of music. Faith in Jesus plus dressing a certain way. Faith in Jesus plus voting for a certain political party. Faith in Jesus plus um, being against the war in Iraq. Faith in Jesus plus being for the war in Iraq. Uh, Faith in Jesus plus you can't watch television anymore. You know, there's thousands of things that sometimes I don't even think we think about that we sort of present ourselves to people who aren't Christians as, well, yeah, it is Jesus, but if you really want to be in, it needs to be faith in Jesus, plus you need to jump through these hoops as well. 
Uh, and Paul reminds us, look, guys, the gospel is just faith in Jesus, plus nothing. And it's not just for certain people who are like you. It's for everybody. It's for the, the cowboys and the hippies and the rebels and the yanks. Anybody name the, name the singer? How, where, where's Hal when I need him? Charlie Daniels Band. Okay. Um, last point here. Uh, justification by faith is a faith righteousness for everyone who believes, and that includes you. That includes us. Um, you can receive righteousness just as Abraham did simply by believing God. Let me read this last section and we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, pick up again in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Uh, Let me just say two things about Abraham's faith here. Number one, Abraham's faith was not a faith that went on appearances. Abraham didn't go on appearances. God promised him children. Abraham's body was as good as dead. Sarah was barren. And Abraham looked past this. He looked past things um, the way looked past the way things seemed to him. And he trusted that God would do what he had promised. He trusted that God would do what he had promised. Did he ponder his situation? Sure. Did it seem impossible to him? Sure it did. But as he thought on it, as he thought about who it was that had made these promises, he realized that it was foolish of him not to believe. And he brought glory to God by believing Him. Now think about that. God today promises us eternal life when we're surrounded by death every day. He promises us that He will count us as righteous when we see every day that we're not. I'll declare you righteous. I'm not very righteous. But just as He made a promise to Abraham, He makes a promise to us as well that He will save everyone. He will declare everyone righteous who believes in His Son. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter where you are in life, no matter how you feel about yourself, God promises if you believe the Gospel, He'll forgive your sin. He'll cover it up. He won't count it against you. That sin yesterday, that's the sin of the day, that's the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow and next week as well. None of it's going to be counted against you. That's pretty incredible when you think about it because we spent some time seeing that the Bible says some pretty unpleasant things about 
us and our sin. But it also tells us that there's a God who sees all of our sin and all of our messiness and really sees our messiness even better than we do and yet loves us anyway. And this God offers us free forgiveness for our sins in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't offer you something to do to make it better. He offers you His Son and says, believe in Him, trust in what He's done. And we'll say, like, oh, you, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I've done. I don't, I don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, you're right. You don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. That's what makes the gospel so incredible and so beautiful. God offers forgiveness to the worst of sinners like me. He offers free forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. And what this calls us to do is it calls us like Abraham to look past appearances. To look past the way things seem to us. And to trust in God who forgives sinners. And then the second thing I'll bring out about Abraham's faith, and then then I really will stop, um, is the object of Abraham's faith. The object of Abraham's faith. What did he what did he believe in? What was the object of his faith? Broadly speaking, it was God's promise. But what was God's promise? Well, it was that he would be the father of many nations. That he would have descendants as numerous as the stars. Uh, But those descendants were going to be far more than natural descendants. In fact, those descendants were going to be both Jews and Gentiles. Galatians 3 even goes so far as to tell us that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Think about that sometimes. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. That's in Galatians 3. And that the promise of the many seed would be made a reality through the one seed who is Jesus. Uh, John chapter 8 tells us that Abraham saw the day of Jesus and was glad. Think about that. Abraham saw the day of Jesus and was glad. And what all that means taken together is that ultimately... Abraham's faith was actually in Jesus. It was directed toward Jesus. He understood him perfectly. It was cloudy. It wasn't clear like it is for us. But he was looking forward toward the cross. We're looking backwards toward the cross. But salvation, both before the cross and after the cross, is through the cross. And through what Jesus has accomplished there. It's through Jesus who was delivered for our trespasses, Paul says, and raised for our justification. Well, how is it that God can declare murderers and adulterers and drunkards to be righteous? How can He do that? It's because His Son has died the death that they deserved. And He has risen from the dead, proving that His sacrifice has been accepted by the Father. Uh, In His resurrection, Jesus is declared to be the righteous one. And as we are united to Him by faith, we're declared to be righteous as well. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. Justification by faith. Right standing with God. 
is by faith alone. It's offered to the nations. And it's offered to you as well. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for uh, hammering this message home to us. Uh, We thank you that we can see even in the lives of these men of the Old Testament that they were not saints by any stretch of the imagination. And yet they were declared to be righteous in your sight, in your court, because they trusted in you and your promises. Father, blessed are those who you will not count their sin against. Uh, We thank you for this. We thank you for the gospel. We pray that we would believe it, that we would tell others, and that we would work it out in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.